we need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 104 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. It also happens to be episode one of the Non-Religious Roundtable. So, dear listener, one of my plans is to introduce you to various secular non-religious groups operating in Australia, let you know what they're up to, and hopefully get a few of them on at the same time, create a bit of a panel where we can discuss what's been going on, gives them an opportunity to talk and for you to hear what they're up to, and that's what the roundtable will be about. Unfortunately, um, on this particular occasion, I did have Hugh Harris lined up to join us, but he had some uh, issues that he couldn't join us. So it's just myself and Alison and Julia from the Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools. Uh, welcome to the program, Alison and Julia. Thanks for having us, Trevor. Hi, Trevor. Hi. Great to have you on. So, uh, dear listener, uh, these ladies are doing a fantastic job in Queensland Um uh, doing their best to to limit the effect and to eventually get rid of uh, the special religious instruction classes that that are a blight on our state education system. Um, they mightn't use such harsh words, they're mine, but uh, they're more diplomatic than me. But anyway, uh, they're working hard behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, um, working away, t- t- uh, pointing out the problems with this program, um, lobbying with the government and trying to get actual things done rather than just talking about it. So you have my utmost admiration, ladies, and what I'd like you to do is really just talk about the organisation in the sense of how did it start, what have you been doing, what are you hoping to do? Um, well, the organisation was founded by... Um myself and another member called Kathy in the middle of 2014. So we're coming up for a three-year anniversary now. Three years, it's gone by very quickly. Um, and basically, we're a grouping of parents of children who are still or were at um, state schools and who'd had negative experiences with the religious instruction program or the way the school was administering that. Um, and all of us sort of had stories to tell and and also found it very difficult to um, broach the issue at the school. There's still somewhat of a taboo around anything that's got to do with religion and everyone sort of treads softly, softly around it. But um, we felt that, um, particularly in in the cases in our personal experience and from talking with other parents, that there was a fair bit of... um, ignoring of people's own rights and choices and um, and we thought it was a little bit, you know, it, it wasn't right to just keep putting up with it. So we decided to try and do something about it um, and just formed a loose, a loose group, set up a Facebook page and um, started to really educate ourselves about policy and, and, and the law that support, that allows religious groups entry into public schools um, to preach. And, yeah, took it from there and then just sort of baby steps one step at a time. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah. so, so, dear listener, what we're looking at here is the, is the program that's allowed in our state school system where 
um, religious clergy and volunteers are allowed to enter the classroom and provide religious instruction classes for up to an hour a week. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Legally up to an hour a week. Yeah. And those classes are not... Uh, they can be quite legitimately indoctrination classes. They do not have to be any... There does not have to be any attempt to you know, cover the various religions and compare and contrast. Uh, it's quite acceptable under the current legislation and policies for those classes to be uh, an indoctrination of the children who attend. And uh, uh, so really these volunteers have got um, an open field as to what they say in those classes, more or less. And I guess part of the problem has been that... Uh, the, the children who attend these classes, quite often their parents don't understand that that's the case. They think it's going to be an education rather than an indoctrination. Mm-hmm. And um, so, ladies, you know, the, the, what's your feedback you've had on, on what people think their kids are experiencing and the sort of uptake mm-hmm. of kids attending and what happens when people are told, well, hang on, it's actually not education, it's indoctrination, what, mm-hmm. what follows from that? Well, you, you, you're right that um, a lot of parents were not aware exactly of what it was. And, and part of the problem is that it's in the school and it has the authority of the school setting and everything like that. But um, you also have misuse of terminology. So often it was referred to as religious education. And we've heard on countless occasions that parents have assumed then that it is education about not just one religion but various religions. And, and we've yet to come across many parents at all who are against that. In fact, the vast majority of people are keen for their for their children to learn about some of the religions and, and their customs and habits of the people who follow those religions because of the, of the diversity of our society and also our, our schools. They're, they're much more diverse than they certainly were when this was introduced over 100 years ago, as, as you can appreciate. Um, so, yes, it's... Um, Misuse of terminology leads people to signing their children up to something that they didn't realise was doctrinal religious instruction. And there's also the um, the pressure, the peer pressure, you know, my friend, I don't want to not be with my friend, so I want to go and and, and that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it, it sort of leads to a large uptake. There's another really major issue is the administrative burden on the school itself. So because it is legislated, if a religious instruction provider knocks on the door and says, there are kids here from our denomination, um, we want our time to um, instruct them in that religion, the school cannot refuse. It is legislated. They have a legislated right to knock on the door and use school time, facilities and staff because there's a supervising staff member in the classroom. Um, to basically conduct Sunday school in, in the case of Christianity, which is by far the majority. Um, so yeah, schools for schools, it's a pain. They've got they have to have a teacher there um, supervising, and then the people, the students who don't do it, also have to be supervised. They have a duty of care to them as well. Uh, so administratively, it's a lot easier on the school if everyone does it or everyone doesn't do it. So mostly, you know, you get a few people doing it. And then they're allowed to, so they have to let them. So then the more people who do it, the better. So it is a burden on schools. And 
we understand principles dilemma um, in resourcing you know stuff and all that kind of thing um, so you, you do get a, a large uptake for those reasons as well so misinformation um, peer pressure and then just administrative um, expediency yep. so it all sort of joins together to create a reasonably high uptake in, in some cases. And, and how is it supposed to work in the sense that this, this volunteer comes along with her Bible and she's going to be running these classes, you know, for year three, um, you know, form A class. Uh, hmm. Is the teacher supposed to look at the enrolment forms of each student to see what denomination they are and then sort the kids in and out of the room based on that? Like, how is it supposed to work? So um, when children enrol in a state school in Queensland, there's a question on religion, which is has a little asterisk next to it, which indicates that it's a, um, a mandatory question. It must be answered. I mean, that's a questionable thing in itself, but we'll set that aside. Um, being forced to reveal religion is actually against, it's, um, against human rights. But um, anyway, that's what it is. People write down the religion. So um, the school should have a record of what affiliation, what religion a child is affiliated with or if they're not affiliated or all that kind of thing should be there in front of them. So when um, a religious instruction provider comes along and says, it gets a little complex. They can offer it in a single arrangement, so it'll just be Catholic um, person coming up, volunteer coming along and just teaching the Catholic children. But more, far more common these days is what's called a cooperative arrangement. Um, so you might have um, Anglicans, Baptists, Presbyterians, Catholics signed up to deliver it jointly. So that means any child who identifies as any of those um, denominations is automatically, by writing that denomination on the enrolment form, parents are considered to have given um, their permission for their child to do that religious instruction class. They do have to list the program that they're going to use and they're supposed to stick to that program. So it might be Connect or it might be Godspace or some other program. Um, and um, the school can is supposed to go according to, to the enrolment form. What happens a lot of the time is then they'll also go, we're running RI, this is what it is, these are the churches involved. If you're lucky, you're lucky to get that level of information, but if you do, mm -hmm. then they offer people the chance to opt in even if they're not affiliated with the religion. We think that's um, a step too far, but that is, is what happens. Um, so, and that's when you end up with um, kids going, well, we're not affiliated with the religion, but um, either it won't hurt them, it's only a little bit of you know, Christianity, they present it as being nice Bible stories, um, and, and, I'm, and she wants to be with her friends, so we'll sign her up. Yeah. Is that, so, is that yeah. sort of um, a function of the principal to some extent, that if the principal is an evangelical um, sort of character, then they'll be, um, you know, sending these letters and saying religion classes on, here's, your, here's another chance to opt in, or yeah. it's sort of based around the principal's personal feelings on the matter? It, it, it can be. I mean, we have seen some incredible infomercials <laughs> pushing religious instruction that the principal has put their name to, um, and that's obviously not allowed. The department has said it has to be... Uh, neutral, non-coercive um, um, information given to parents about the program and we certainly have seen some very enthusiastic endorsements by principals and, and misstatements about, you know, um, it being 
part of the curriculum, you know, we've even some, some, heard some people say it's part of the curriculum, which it most definitely is not. Mm. But, you know, I, I think, to be fair, I'm not sure that, that that would be the majority. I think that would be the minority. But principals, it, it's, it is a burden. You know, we do have, we have talked to some, some principals who said it's just a pain to administrate this, this program. It's not part of the curriculum. It's not part of the education department's program, anything like that. Yet they're forced to do it so they kind of want to get it and and I can understand this they want to just deal with it as quickly as possible and and so for the very reason that's not part of the curriculum that's not really their thing but because it's not part of the curriculum and because it's not an EQ thing and it doesn't have the controls and the oversight it actually really for that very reason it should be even more tightly supervised and and there should be greater oversight on it but it really just doesn't happen, and we do sympathise with the principals. They are in, in a difficult situation. By the same token, we would love them to actually follow policy to the letter because that really, really happens. Yeah. Now, there's been some change in the forms or something that you've worked yes. hard to implement. So what's going on there? Um, so after the review of the Connect program last year, um, one of the recommendations was to strengthen informed consent because that was something that had been raised, we'd raised a lot, you know. Parents actually do not know what they're signing their children up for. And um, it's, it's such a stark contrast to some of the other things that parents are asked to consent to when they enrol their child. So if you enrolled a child at a state school, you will have got about four or five pages about um relating to consent to use your child's image in, in, you know, in anything, like it might be the school newsletter or anything like that. There's just so much detail and and it goes through over everything with a fine-tooth comb and fair enough. But when it comes to religious instruction, often it's just, you know, what's your religion? If if there's this religion is offered at the school, your child will be placed in it and that's it. If not, they'll be in something called other instruction, which is basically just twiddling their thumbs, time-killing whatever. Um, so, yes, the, the department came up with a, um, a new information form and we were able to provide some feedback on it. It's certainly an improvement in that it does state on the form that it's the programs are not endorsed or approved or authorised by the department, which I think is really important for parents to know. Often they think because it's in the school, it must be all given the, the you know, tick of approval by the department, but that's that's not the case. Um, and it does have a lot more information on it. The, the, the kicker is the, we've asked the department to mandate its use and, and mandate its use at enrolment, which is when parents are first asked about religious instruction for their child, and they won't do it. They've said, no, it's optional. Um, you can use it to refresh your, you know, update your, your um approvals and things like that and the other thing is we've seen a couple of schools use it um, which is good but we've also seen a couple of schools doctor it to and it's watered down its effect so it's it's a little bit frustrating in that um, one the department won't tell them what to do um, they won't tell them to mandate it and then two they can sort of change it anyway and, and potentially reduce the effectiveness so there's a big question mark hanging over the consent issue because if it's not legally consent, if it's not informed consent, and I really think there are, 
you could probably count on one hand the number of schools who are really giving their parents fully informed consent and and or, or the chance to consent based on full information. Yep. And uh, uh, when there is informed consent, when people know what really is going on in the classroom, I think Alison, your experience is that the numbers drop dramatically once they know. That's right, Trevor. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a craggy voice today, which is why Julia's doing most of the, the talking. <clears throat> um, at my school, um, I went, um, assisted the school in, in complying with policy, and this was before this new form that we were just talking about came out because that was just last term. So a couple of years ago, my school gave parents the lesson aims and outcomes of the Connect program that was being used. They'd never seen them before. They gave them a form that was um, similar to the to the one that the department has just um, approved. It had the names of the churches that were involved. It had the name of the program. It had a bit of information on what religious, religious instruction was and, you know, that it was instruction, not education about religions, and asked for parents to give a, um, a fresh um, indication of whether they wanted their child to participate in this Connect program that was offered. So that was sent to every parent in the school. Um, because of a lack of volunteers, religious instruction was only offered to, um, they offered it year twos and fours for semester one and then year threes and fives for semester two. And I know that in the year twos and fours that were being offered at the time, there was probably a, um, nearly an 80% participation rate um, in the program after the um, this process of, of asking for informed parent consents, it pretty much halved overnight um, once, well, it wasn't really overnight because it took a few, you know, a few weeks for parents to get all these forms back, um, but it basically halved. And I, I saw parents just in shock. They had no idea that their child was receiving a sin and salvation program because the Connect Lesson aims are pretty clear that sin is heavily focused on um, and there were lesson aims where, you know, it was stated God controls the weather, um, all these sorts of these sorts of things. I saw one parent beg the principal to tell her, um, I remember she said, please tell me my, my children haven't been told they're sinners, please tell me, and he just shook his head at her and said, yes, they have, that's what's been in the program. Um, so obviously she pulled her children out. And look, a lot of a lot of Christian parents pulled their children out as well because they realized it was not something that they thought suitable for their own children. Um, I mean, it's an evangelical fundamentalist sin and salvation program, and that really doesn't suit most Christians. But the numbers basically halved overnight and then kept dropping. As you know, parents openly spoke about it. There was no, wasn't a taboo subject in the school. I mean, when you start at the top and the principal is being open and transparent with parents and saying, "You can come and have a look at the program. You can talk about it. You know, there's no secrets here. We want informed consent." That filters down to the feeling in the playground, and parents openly and respectfully, you know, discussed um, their views about it with each other. 
And those parents that decided that they wanted their children to do it, everybody had, you know, a great respect for their choices because um, they were making informed choice. So I had friends that decided that they wanted to keep their children in and I totally respected their decision. That's their legal right. And all I asked of the school was to seek their informed consent and that's exactly what happened. But I noticed that it kept it then kept dropping. So the last lesson, religious instruction lesson from last year that was at my school uh, was a year two class. And previously there would have been out of 100 year twos divided up into four classes, probably about 80% were participating in it. Um, my principal told me he um, he went down to check out check on the um, the lesson because it was the last one of the year. And out of 100 year twos, he said there were about 16 or 17 participating. Mm. So it had dropped from 80% to, you know, well under 20% when parents, you know, knew what was going on and were able to make an informed decision. We've been talking about uh, the Connect program that we've been, you know, mentioning in passing here. And, dear listener, this is a program devised out of Scripture Union, I believe, Julia, and it's... No, it's um, Sydney Anglican. Sydney Anglican, okay. And, yeah. But, but uh, yes, okay, and... Um, dear listener, if you ever see any of these booklets, they, they are an evangelical, you know, out of the American Midwest sort of book. Um, it's, it's not what we're used to in our form of Christianity here in Australia. And there is a lot of uh, sin in there and there's a lot of taking the Bible very literally. And they grate with the average Australian's idea of Christianity and it's just a matter of people seeing those. Um, this is the program. There was uh, stuff in the news over the last sort of um, 18 months, two years, where children were uh, asked to reenact a, a beheading scene from the Bible and um, yes. and offered, showing bottles of, what was the bleach story with the water and the bleach? Oh, there was... There was something about, yeah, something to do with washing away your sins. So they had, I think, red cordial and then bleach poured into it to show how you could wash away your sins yeah. by believing in Jesus or something something to that effect. So there was some interesting um, content. There was also content. Um, there was also, we, we actually bought the Connect materials and so we could see for ourselves what was in them um, because, you know, you can't. You can't know what you're talking about unless you have really good at looking at it yourself. I'm quite, quite horrified to see the, the degree to which sin and salvation was was strong, strongly emphasised. Um, and they also had a, a yearly lesson on how to evangelise other people. So they would make um, good news beads. So they had all these different colours and each colour represents something. And so you go out in the playground and use the beads to to talk about Jesus and God and, and sin. The black one was obviously the sin. Um, and, you know, go out and evangelise your friends and family, um, which is pretty over the top. You know, I mean, <laughs> this has been um, highlighted in, in the reviews, not just of the Connect review, but also recently the God Space, which is another... Um, it's a more toned down, certainly a more toned down program. Um, and the department has pointed out, you know, that, that in the Connect review and this God's Space review that, that instructors shouldn't be encouraging children to go out and evangelise 
the other children who are not doing RI. Um, but the really interesting, and, and one of the um, expectations in the Godspace review was that if principals saw children in the playground trying to do just that, then they expected them to do something to, to put a stop to it. Mm. Well, that's um, given rise to particularly interesting response from the some Christian lawyers, um, one of whom we know for a fact has been advising was advising um, the Queensland Christian Religious Instruction Network up here in Queensland, and he's actually Sydney-based. And, um, yeah, they're, they're quite upset about this particular expectation of the department um, and have been emphasising that it's a breach of their religious freedom. So they're really pushing back now. So to, to us, I, I think, to be clear, I think the wording that the department used in their review was a bit clunky um, but for us we were quite sure that what they meant was that if they didn't want religious instruction volunteers telling their RI students to go out and talk you know you should go out and talk to Jesus to the other kids and that kind of thing because to us those children's the parents of those children have considered the option and said no thanks yep. so you really don't expect the RI volunteers to be trying to get around um, that rejection of the offer by getting the RI students to go out and evangelise these kids. We don't think it's unreasonable that the department ask um, that the volunteers don't do that. Yeah. But these Christian lawyers are pretty up in arms and actually said that um, they think that's a breach of because evangelising and talking about their faith is part of their religion and they're being prevented from acting out their, you know, living their faith and that kind of thing. I'm sure the department didn't mean that no child is ever to bring up the fact that they went to church on Sunday with a friend or anything like that. It, it was clunkily worded, but, you know, we're sure the department doesn't mean that because we wouldn't support that either. You know, if kids bring something up, I went to Dreamworld the other day, oh, I went to church, you know, that's what kids talk about. <clears throat> we certainly are not for any kind of draconian measures that stop kids from even mentioning the fact that they go to church or that they're religious. But these uh, Christian lawyers um, really have um, got on board with this and um, asserting their right that there's nothing wrong with um, getting the kids to go out and talk about their um, their faith and they're talking about having their religious freedom trampled on and they've even won on 96 Five FM family radio, a host on there recently on a recent program, even alluded that the um, department was taking a militantly atheistic approach to by asking them to do that. So they're very clearly not concerned about anyone else's rights. These these people, um, they um, very much there's no mention of you know the fact that there's a, a right to freedom from religion, which is an integral part of freedom of religion, of a course, if, if you don't want, if you're a Christian, you want to be free from the imposition of any other religion. So um, just as much as a, a non-theist doesn't want any religion imposed on them. So freedom from religion and freedom of religion are inseparable. But that doesn't matter, apparently, when there's this perception that they're not being allowed to fully act out their religious freedom in whatever setting, even if it's a state school. So it, it, it's really getting very interesting. Yeah. I have an image in my mind of also kids who are in the religious instruction class. Does this happen where, you know, they're given lollies and they sing songs and it's, mm -hmm. you know, having fun activities, 
whereas the other kids who are not involved are under some uh, supervision where they're just in a room, they're told to read a book, but they can't be given any lessons that would advantage them over the kids who are in religious instruction. So they're quite bored and kind of through boredom want to join their friends in the RI class. It's certainly, we do hear stories of that. Um, yes, policy, and it's only policy, says that the, the children not doing RI must not be given any instruction, which would m- mean that the children doing RI were educationally disadvantaged. This is a special privilege that is not offered in the case of other non-curricular activities conducted during curriculum time. And, and the, the easiest one to raise as an example is instrumental music lessons. So my child's learning the flute, um, they leave the classroom, the other kids get on with it and they catch up when they come back. But with religious instruction, you, the kids not doing RI are forced to down pencils and fill in time. So, and it's interesting because I, this is sort of came to mind when Alison was mentioning the massive drop in, in participation rates at her school. Um, so it's got down to what, if there were 16, 17 kids out of 100 at that last class, that's what, 16, 17%. Even for that 16, 17%, everything has to stop. Mm. We've even asked the department if there were one child in a cohort, so say a year four cohort of 120 kids, if that one child was doing RI, are the other kids allowed to just keep going? No, apparently not. So it, it, it's absolute insanity, um, but it's only policy. So that could be changed with the stroke of a pen. That's not legislation. That's policy that prevents the other children from just continuing with what they're doing. And there's no motivation or willingness in the government or the department to change a policy like that? They, they're too scared well, of a religious sort of um, backlash? I, I just, yeah, I think there is, I think... I think the numbers still where they are. They're not. They're not going to review that policy. It's a bit of a catch twenty two because of the policy. The numbers are pretty high. The RI participation rates are pretty high. So you've got some parents say, "Well, just put them in because they're not going to be doing much anyway, much else anyway." So they actually there are parents we've spoken to them who say, "Yeah, I don't really want them to do it, but they're not going to be doing anything else anyway, so I'll put them in RI." So. It helps to artificially inflate it to a certain degree. I don't know what degree, but to a certain degree. So so it helps to artificially inflate it, but by the same token, you can't, it's harder to remove it when it's the, the participation rates are high, just because then you know you've only got you've you've got a teacher taking 20% of the students. And I think if they did remove that policy, you'd get a, another flow back out of RI, because a lot of parents these days would just rather than you know, getting their reading and writing and arithmetic yep. um, on board rather than, than have religious instruction. Yep. So it's a bit of a catch-22 with that policy there, yeah. yeah. Now, in New South Wales, you know, some people have looked at this and have said, well, you know, if uh, I don't want my kids in RI, um, I'd like them involved in some sort of secular um, instruction. And there's a group mm. called Primary Ethics who are yes. providing an alternative to religious instruction where it's a sort of a secular ethics lesson and, again, relies on volunteers to yes. go to the school. And, and that's 
one sort of approach to the problem. And I know we think alike on this. So you go ahead with what you think of that sort of solution. <laughs> in, um, in 2006, the Queensland um, Beattie government actually got advice that religious instruction could be considered discriminatory because it provided no ability for non-religious groups like human humanists um, to come in and give a, an alternative secular version to the um, non-religious children. So the BD government introduced this legislation and it was a, quite, a complete rewrite of the religious instruction laws to allow for both religious and non-religious groups to have the legal right of entry to come into schools and, you know, offer their programs. Um, the, there was a huge outcry um, from mainly the Australian Christian Lobby, the Brisbane branch led that and drummed up all this hullabaloo about that would let the pagans and the Wiccans and the Satanists in. Um, and we even had the Julie, um, Julie, Julie Bishop, the federal member for education, as she was then, chime in and um, infer that the federal government might remove state funding for Queensland schools if they opened this religious instruction up to non-religious groups. Um, there was a massive church lobbying and um, ministers were told they wouldn't be voted, they wouldn't get the, the Christian vote if they let in the, um, the non-religious people to access the kids. Obviously, they felt that their mission fields in state schools were under immense threat from um, the possibility of, of secular programs. And the um, Beattie government really didn't take the opportunity to try to explain that this was about parent choice and the, um, the privilege of, of religion only um, uh, succeeded and they withdrew that legislation. Mm. So it's been tried and the religious um, people wouldn't have a bar of letting go of their religious privilege over state school children. Having said that, though, um, one of our issues with religious instruction is that it divides kids up. It segregates them along religious lines. And I just, you know, we just do not see any wisdom in doing that in, in the kind of world and times and society in which we live. We don't think that's helpful. So... Um, Although we understand the primary ethics um, content in New South Wales, it's supposed to be excellent. It still contributes to segregating kids and dividing them up and, you know, having volunteers come in and it's, it's the programs that aren't under the control of the department or anything like that. So for, for our group, we're not in favour of um, that kind of alternative. If, if the program, the primary ethics program is that good, as we understand it is, it would be a benefit to all kids and so it should be perhaps um, if it's going to come in done in such a way that all kids do get the benefit of it but my problem with and taught by the classroom teachers not mm. volunteers um that aren't you know employees of the department of education yeah my problem with primary ethics is it legitimizes the idea of outside volunteers coming into the school yes. and yeah exactly yeah. and i mean we wouldn't we wouldn't want an atheist group 
um, coming into schools and offering an alternative to religious instruction um, for exactly that reason, as well as it's part of the segregating the children. Yes. Um, I mean, just the thought of a teacher in year three or year two class saying, okay, Johnny, you're a Buddhist over there, um, you know, mm. Muhammad, you're yeah. a Muslim over there, and just dividing a class up and of just kids mm. who should be just all as one is just mm. appalling, mm. and that's going on in our schools. And just um, before you leave that topic, you know, with Julie Bishop complaining, you know, oh, this will allow Satanists and Wiccans to come in, well, they are religions and they can come in. Yes, yeah, they are. That was the irony of the yeah. whole, you know, when we're reading the history of it, we're going, but if they had children identified um, as that affiliation at the school, they can already come in. Mm. Yeah, but so. nobody, no, there was no group at the time um, that really stood up and said, well, hang on a minute, let's unpack this properly and look at exactly what it's offering. Um, but in hindsight, it would have just entrenched religious instruction further and that division of children. So we obviously weren't formed as a group back then and we're not um, we're not disappointed that it, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But we, we totally, totally understand that, you know, when you're threatening religious privilege, it got very nasty. Mm-hmm. Now, Victoria had success. They were faced with a similar situation and the Andrews government managed to change things, but that was easier than it is here. Yes. It really comes down to um, the wording of the legislation. Um, My understanding is in Victoria it was worded that, um, that religious instruction providers may enter schools. So there seems to be some discretionary wriggle room for principals to say yay or nay, depending on, you know, their schedule or, or, or for whatever reason. Um, in Queensland, it's it's very definitive. You know, these groups, these people are entitled, and that's the word that's used, are entitled to come into state schools and um, deliver um, religious instruction. So... In Queensland, it actually requires a, a, law, a change of law to to remove it. Whereas in Victoria, although it's still on the books legally, that just saying may um, make made the difference. And it also, um, I think, the time frame wasn't specified, so they're allowed to have it before or after school, which is, brings us to an interesting point because at one point, now was it the regulations or yes. at one point in our history in Queensland not so long ago, the legislation is called religious instruction in school hours. So then you go, well, what's school hours? Um, at one point they were defining religious instru- uh, school hours as 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock. And so there was a time where a, a principal could have, I think it was only a fairly short window of opportunity, mm-hmm. could have said, um, well, if you want to do it, come at 8 o'clock or come, up, come before school, come after school. Now, somewhere along the way, that was removed and so we have it you know, between 9 and 3 now. So, again, we believe there was some really strong pushback. But the, the other really interesting thing is, I think, is even before religious instruction um, legislation was introduced in 1910, I think it was, Um, prior to that, one of the objections, and there was a lot of opposition to being introduced at that time, even in 1910, 
Um, and the biggest reason that was raised was the Catholic-Protestant um, conflict and they didn't want to sort of stir that up again and they managed to avoid it in avoid that in the Australian colonies and and you know in the young Australia and they didn't want to bring that up again but it was pointed out at that time that the churches had already did have the right to come in before and after school to deliver religious instruction and they weren't using that opportunity mm. but then they pushed hard to get it during school hours when the kids had to be there so it's really very telling. Um, you know, they already had access to school children just before and after school. They're all there. Yep. But then they had to push to get it in actually when they had to be there. Mm. So, They've got a captive audience yeah. when they have to be at when the kids have to be at school. So even in 1910, you know, there was all these machinations and, and, and shenanigans behind the scenes. It was very little has changed, actually. Very little has changed. Mm. Now, there's no statistic to say how many kids actually attend religious instruction classes in Queensland. We, we have no knowledge of the actual number, do we? The religious instruction providers um, talk about 70%, um, but, and we think that's probably um, um, a fair depends representation. It depends, it depends on the school. Um, so... You know, looking at numbers like 70% is probably a, a fair um, estimate, but that's all it is, an estimate because the department doesn't keep those central records, though they're going to start to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was one of the recommendations that came up from the Connect Review was to start actually taking some some numbers and, and keeping track of what was going on. Yep. And uh, prior to um, us starting this broadcast, you were briefly mentioning a sort of a backdoor method for a religious denomination to proselytise in a school where there aren't even members of that particular denomination. So do you want to just describe how that works? Um, just to, just to um, as a preliminary, the, the department has clarified to us that, well, and in the, in the Connect Review, that there is no prohibition on proselytising or evangelising children in a religious instruction class. And that's because the religious instruction, the um, religious instruction lawyers, the Christian lawyers, were up in arms after my school actually suspended Connect because they determined that it, in fact, proselytised. That's what its purpose was, and so they weren't very happy about being told they couldn't proselytise or evangelise, and they they um, complained to the Department of Education. And the, the legislation makes no prohibition against proselytising or evangelising because it presumes that if you've put your child in there, they're already of that religion. So you can't preach to the converted. But, of course, we have way more children participating in religious instruction than are affiliated with the religion being presented. So there is proselytising and evangelising going on. So I just wanted to make clear that the department actually says that's okay. We've said, we've, oh, except if, there's a, if they're in a cooperative arrangement between a number of denominations, a Catholic vo volunteer, for example, is not allowed to try and poach an Anglican child to come to the Catholic church. So there's a specific policy prohibition on interdenominational poaching. But if you've got an atheist um, child or a, or a Buddhist child or a Hindu child in that 
cooperative arrangement, they're fair game for um, proselytising and evangelising. Now, we said to the department, okay, um, please, please inform parents that their child may be proselytised or evangelised in a religious instruction lesson and uh, they haven't um, done that. So they, they don't really want parents to know that for some reason. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to sort of explain that about proselytising evangelising first. But so in, in Queensland, under, under policy, there's two ways a religious provider can come into school. They can come in and produce a single faith arrangement, so a Catholic volunteer with a letter from um, their local priest can, and, a, and a blue card can basically walk up to a school and say, I'm here to um, provide RI to the Catholic children who identify as Catholic, and that's a single faith arrangement. So those children who identify as Catholic uh, would be um, put, should be put somewhere in a, in a separate location with that volunteer and a supervising teacher, and they would get receive a um, Catholic program. Um, that the that is part of the regulations, and that was that was changed um, quite a while ago because mainstream religions were being less interested in going into schools. So they decided that that um, the religious people obviously proposed to the government at the time to say, well, look, how about if we cooperate amongst each other? So we all sign up, so we might get all your mainstream local churches, um, Anglican, Catholic, Baptist, um, signing up to an arrangement where we, we'll send um, any one of our volunteers in and we'll basically get the school to lump all those children of those denominations together and we will give them an agreed program. So that's called a cooperative arrangement and is by far the most used in Queensland. There are still schools that offer some single faith in, in Christian denominations, but mostly it's Christian cooperative arrangements. Um, in a single faith arrangement, if um, an evangelical non-denominational church rocked up to the school and said, we want to we present a single faith arrangement in our non-denominational Christian faith um, at the school. Um, the school would have a look at the religious affiliation. And if there weren't any children that identified with that particular church, they, the principal has to say, I'm sorry, I can't let you in. There are no children here of your faith. So even if they say we're providing a general Christian um, sort of RI lesson, um, the the principal wouldn't look and see, oh, I've got Anglican Catholics, you know, they're Christian, you know, we've got some qualifying members here. They would want to see that they are, you know, Hillsong or whatever particular church, you know, this minor denomination that this, that this uh, evangelical group is. It has to be the denomination. So if we take, if we use Hillsong as, as the example, um, if, if if they came in and there was no children who identified with their particular denomination, the school has to say no. However, if if that if that denomination then went around to the local other Christian churches and said, look. We're happy to go into the school and actually do the volunteering, but we need you to sign up to a cooperative arrangement 
to let us access your your flock, so to speak, then those churches will um, usually say yes because I think they they think well a little bit of Christianity to our affiliated children is better than nothing because we're not prepared to go in for whatever reason. We we can't get volunteers or we're not interested, whatever is the case. So you're getting situations where, um, and I'll give you the example of of my school, where there was a non-denominational Christian church, I won't won't name it, had no children at the school who um, identified as being affiliated. They went around, signed up, Um, six or seven other Christian mainstream churches and presented presented that cooperative arrangement to the school and religious instruction got underway with mostly volunteers from that particular um, non-denominational church. Now, we asked the department, is that okay? Because those volunteers would not be allowed in under a single faith arrangement and... To our surprise, actually, the department actually said, yep, that's fine because the other churches have agreed to let that denominational church access their flock. If it's good enough for them, that's good enough for us and we will we will allow it. So it's, it's a backdoor way that these more fundamentalist churches get access to mainstream Christians and parents... Are unlikely to even know that's what ha- what's happening. They may have a, um, they may consider themselves Catholic and have identified their child as Catholic. They may not be aware that the volunteer who's standing in front of their Catholic child with a religious instruction class is somebody from, for example, Hillsong, using a program written by the Sydney Anglicans. Um, that's that's it's a real stuff. issue. <laughs> It's, it's extraordinary that we are allowing this to happen. Is is there, like, I say to people, like, this doesn't happen in America. You can't do this. Is there any Western liberal democracy that is allowing any ratbag religious group to come in and proselytise even when there are no children of their faith in a state, look, just look, in a government school crazy. for starters? Is there any other country doing this that you've ever heard of? Mm. New Zealand's got some sort of yes, issue, but we're not up on the full details there. Um, so, yeah, but they're dealing with the same issue. But certainly not the UK, extent. not Europe, not America, not Canada. We came across, and I'm not going to name him, but we came across an evangelical pastor who was an American missionary and he was the religious instruction coordinator um, at a number of schools on the Gold Coast, six or seven Gold Coast schools, and he would report back to his um, missionary base in America um, and it was all done on a blog. And we came across this blog and his reports back back to his church and saying that he's amazed that, that Australians you know, let missionaries into their schools to preach to the, to spread the word of Jesus to state school students. He said it was incredible that he was allowed to do this here because there'd be no way he'd be allowed to do that in his own country. 
And he um, took full advantage of the he opportunity. He took full advantage of, of the opportunity. Boasting of the conversion. Boasting how many he'd converted that week and mm. I even gave some information <coughs> to a Muslim girl. He, he, yeah, Alison's just lost her voice again. Uh, uh, he even boasted of, of slipping some Christian tracks to a Muslim child and things like that. And you just think, well, there's no boundary that they're not prepared to cross. So, um, and, and look, I, we certainly do not lump all RI volunteers in the same basket. We know there's all sorts out there, but but you don't know. Um, so we certainly don't want to tar them all with the same brush, but we've seen some incredibly egregious examples. And, uh, yeah, and we've seen a lot, and every now and again we still feel our jaws drop. So, yeah. Yeah. So what do you recommend for parents, um, you know, with kids at state schools um, who want to be active? You know, obviously they'll make sure their own kids aren't in the RI class, but is there is there anything that you recommend that parents, people can do if they're... Yeah. Yep. Well... First of all, is, is they can um, they can follow us on Facebook, Queensland Parents for Secular State Schools, um, and they can always contact us. We're happy to help out with any advice we can give. On a more practical level, I think it's just to be inform yourselves, and we help with that as well. What the policy is, what you should be able to expect, um, you know, how how the school should be administering the religious instruction program. Also, um, despite the new um, information form being released by the department, the principals that we had some contact with only found out about it because we asked them if they'd seen it. So we there's not a doesn't seem to be a lot of effort being put into actually informing the principals of, of what's out. And we can't be certain that, you know, exactly what's happening, but we were very surprised um, that the principals we spoke to I only found out about it because we asked them. And um, so parents need to inform themselves and say to their principal, look, I'm aware that there's this new information form. Um, would you please use it for, for religious instruction? If it's in the schools and it is in the schools, it needs to be done properly. It needs to be done according to policy. And parents need to be fully informed um, on what they're signing their children up to. Yeah, so it, it's just – and also – not to be afraid to bring it up, but we always urge people to be respectful. Um, you cannot go shooting off your mouth and accusing the principal of this, that and the other. Um, as we said before, principals are in a bit of a tricky situation themselves. We, we'd love it if they really want to step up and do the right thing, but we also kind of get that they've got a lot on their plate. Um, this is not really a school issue, so it sort of gets shunted to the side and, and, and doesn't sort of get the scrutiny and attention we think it really does deserve in order to, you know, preserve people's rights and, and choices. Um, but always keep the discussions respectful, um, fact-based, keep your emotions out of it. It's, emotions run high, but it, you just really have to be very, uh, very sensible. And, again, we're happy to help with all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, to, to get in touch with us, but urge schools to do the right thing and, and be inclusive, urge inclusivity, because this is a segregating thing and there are other issues in schools surrounding, um, you know, prayers on assembly or creeds that, that, you know, relate to, that mention God or something like that. But, and it's just, you just want your school to be inclusive of everyone and, and that's not the way to do it. So do you do any work in relation to chaplains? Yes, we do. Um, 
Our big focus has been on RI because we feel that's probably the easier one to tackle. Chaplains are very well entrenched. Um, but again, the same thing. There, um, my own personal experience was I was able to, the schools like the extra help, and, and it's as simple as that. And it, it's very difficult to argue against having someone else on board just to help out. So, but what you can do is argue for that help to be kept secular, even though the position has to be filled by someone who must be, you know, declare a faith, which is discriminatory in itself, that's the way it is at the moment. But what you can do is work with your school to ensure that the program is inclusive. They, they claim to be there for everyone. Well, then make them prove it, you know, Tell, get them to not bring just Christian speakers and events and things like that. So for my myself, at my previous, my children graduated from, from the state school system now, but at my previous school, I was able to work with the principal there and we had a chaplain, but it was secular. Like, there was no religious input in it at all. Um, yeah, so it, it's possible. It, it gets tricky in schools where the schools are doing extra funding from, you know, casual closed days and other stuff. Yes. And money yes. is raised within schools that's yes. given to supplement the chaplain's income rather than, you know, to some other secular provider. Yes. Um, any, well, yep. any... Some years ago we I investigated that area and schools are obliged to tell parents when they're fundraising that the money raised chapstick goes to a religious organisation, that's Scripture Union Queensland. Um, we also um, suggest that they mention that Scripture Union Queensland takes um, administrative fees from that and we're not saying they shouldn't because it costs money to administer programs and things like that but parents should be aware that um, the figure we got from um, a regional manager from Scripture Union was 19.5% and in previous guidelines it was set at a maximum of 20% that the current guidelines don't say anything now um, so Yes, people need to be aware that it's not just going to chaplains, it's going to Scripture Union Queensland, just to emphasise that it is a religious it is a religious role, as much as they like to deny that it is. The other thing that we've suggested is that um, people try and get... So uh, uh, recently one of the um, popular fundraisers for chaplains seems to be the Subway lunch or something like that, and at one school we were able to get the principal to put an option. So you could you put it at a tick box. So you can have a directed donation. You either want to donate to the chaplaincy program or there's another one that says you donate to the PNC. Well, you can choose something. It might just be the PNC or it might be another funding like that. So kids don't want to be left out of this stuff. And that's where parents find, you know, they don't want to support the chaplaincy program because they don't feel it's the right fit for a state school, but their kid's going to be left out if they don't get to have the subway thing or they don't get to guess the number of jelly beans in the jar or something like that. So if you can try and convince your school to have an inclusive manner of doing it by giving people the option of whether they want the money to go to the chaplaincy or to somewhere else, a non-religious alternative, um, we think that that's some way of maybe, you know, trying to get kids, um, you know, involved, not feeling left out and stuff like that. I think the the last, that school that I just mentioned that gave them a, an option, it was either chaplaincy or Red Cross they decided to do. So the kids didn't miss out and parents didn't feel like they were donating to a cause they didn't want to. Yes. Yep. Yep. So, um, Julia and Alison, anything else that you wanted to raise in, in the discussion or any help or any other assistance or anything, anything else you wanted to um, say before we wind it up? 
Um, <clears throat> at the risk of coughing again, I'll, I'll have a quick go. Um, the religious instruction people like to promote that this is a choice for parents. And that is, um, in fact, the case because legislation, you know, allows parents to make that, that choice. Um, obviously, there's an issue with lack of informed choice, but, you know, that's beside the point. Um, the bigger picture, that, the bigger question that we need to be asking is in 2017, should churches continue to be given right of entry to state schools to conduct their ministry? That's the bigger question we should be we should be asking. And should there be um, should there be a privilege? And but whilst we have it, should there still be a privilege to children during religious instruction that is not um, granted to the children that um, have not chosen to do it? So my my child doesn't get violin privilege when she leaves her class. Why should she not um, be able to continue with the curriculum work uh, during religious instruction? So they're, they're the, the bigger questions is should our state schools really be used as um, mission yeah. fields for religions? And, you know, usually people who think that that's um, a good thing is those whose religion represents the majority um, of religious instruction going on. They may not feel the same if theirs was a minority. Yep. Are you still there, Alison and Julie? I am. Yep, sorry. You, yep, just cut out. you just cut out just for a moment at the end there, but we got we got all that. So um, anything else, Julia or Alison? No, I think just to wind up, I, uh, just to wind up again, as I said before, um, we're here to help. And if parents have any questions whatsoever and want assistance, um, that's that's what we're we're willing to do, and um, we'll keep working behind the scenes, and um, see where this takes us. And hopefully, we'll get more inclusive schools and um, no more segregation of children. And yeah, and and what we'd actually like to see is children educated about multiple religions, so rather than divided in being preached at. One other question: You were uh, at one stage sort of going through schools almost alphabetically or something, yeah. uh, looking yeah. at their websites and their materials and yeah. kind of auditing them as to how well they comply with. Yeah, we were giving them an A to F mark, and there weren't too many A's <laughs> or B's or C's. You're still doing that. We we haven't done that for a while, but we might have to start again. Uh, a lot of information has been taken off websites at the moment with with all these reviews and things like that so um yes but we might have to go back to what we dubbed the alphabet soup so yeah yeah, yeah very good well i for one applaud your work there's a you know various organizations around where people just sit and talk and bemoan the situation but you guys do are actually too. doing stuff <laughs> Mine a lot. Yeah, but you're actually doing stuff and um that's to be congratulated so well done Thank keep you. up the good Thanks. work and uh Dear listener, if you need assistance or advice in those areas, um, they are more than willing to help and follow them on Facebook and repost their stuff and help them out in any way you can. So thank you, ladies. I'll stop the broadcast now and we can just keep talking off air now. So thank you, uh, dear listener. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. 
Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.